Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 3-4, The First Purpose. This week, we're taking a short break in Steve's Mystery of Christ series to explore what it means to truly enter into Sabbath rest. Well, good evening, everyone. This is sort of a, an extra podcast where uh, many of you know we're in the middle of a multi-week series on the mystery of Christ, and uh, we'll pick that up again when I get back from Columbia uh, in, uh, I guess, about a month. But um, I wanted to just do a one-off on the whole issue of Sabbath and Sabbath rest, and um, it's a major, major uh, subject in the scriptures. So let me just pray and... um, and we'll jump in. So Lord, I thank you for being able to get together at the beginning of the year. And Lord, uh, my house is filled with my friends. That's a blessing. And I ask Holy Spirit for you to come and uh, just anoint this time for all of us. Speak into all of our hearts, Lord. And, uh, and just change us a little bit more. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I went for a walk the last half hour of daylight um, just to kind of settle a little bit because um, I've... uh, Excuse me, my wife's going to try to turn her phone off. That weird echo you're hearing wherever you are is actually Christina's phone, but she's run away now. Uh, because I, I feel like I want to say this. I'm, I'm going to do this one-off teaching on Sabbath rest because it's something that I felt like the Lord really um, put on my heart. But I also want to say, I'm, I feel a little bit like Paul in, in 1 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 2. He says, I came to you with, with much trembling. In some translations say trepidation, fear. Because I'm preaching some of this out of my own weakness. Because Sabbath rest is an area that I've had to really work hard at to take hold of. Um, and I've continued to work hard at it, you know, for who knows how many of my 43 years with the Lord, but certainly for a long time. So what I share tonight, two things I wanted to say. Some of what I'm sharing comes out of a couple of terrific books uh, by um, maybe my favorite Old Testament uh, theologian and commentator, uh, Walter Brueggemann. And, um, and certainly I want to... I want to just let you know and honor him in, in so much of what I learned here. But others of it just has come out very much out of my own ongoing journey on the whole issue of Sabbath rest. Um, I put up, a, you know, we usually put up a little promo for a day or two beforehand, and I put up Exodus 28, 20 verse 8, which is uh, the fourth commandment. 
Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There is a lot of discussion about what does this mean and how is this defined. When I was out walking and just kind of thinking about my own journey, I was thinking of one of my dearest friends. When he grew up, he was in a, in a pretty strict conservative evangelical home. And uh, for him, Sabbath meant no baseball, no TV, no radio. He said it was the longest day of the week. Could hardly wait till Monday. But, you know, I even am aware, years ago, I had friends come stay with us one weekend from out of town and were ministering, and it was Sunday, and I, I had these bushes I wanted to plant, but I thought, well, I can't plant them because it's Sunday, because that's where I was, and that was the community I was in. And, uh, and we had a good talk about that, and in fact, we went out, and I, we prayed together, and I actually went out, and <gasps> shocking, I, I planted some bushes, which, which was great, great pleasure for me. Um, you know, if I feel like, oh, I've got to get this done, then that's work. If it's something I'm just enjoying and just taking pleasure from, then I, for me, that, that is, uh, that's still part of Sabbath. You know, we have a great tendency to want to define, to create principles, to compartmentalize all kinds of aspects of uh, our lives into... <clears throat> this is spiritual and this is natural or secular, whatever. The implications of Sabbath are far-reaching. And uh, I believe, I hope what's going to come out tonight, part of our interaction with Sabbath is a reflection of our relationship with the triune God. Um, I believe that that the issue of Sabbath has profound social, uh, even socioeconomic implications. Um, Sabbath, we express it externally by what we do or maybe don't do, but that we really live it or should be living it uh, internally. Sabbath, I'm going to come at this again and again over these, this talk, is an expression of uh, profoundly countercultural freedom. It is a commitment also to community. So tonight we're going to look at three aspects, and we're going to look from three different places of Scripture. The first is, is the creation account. Uh, then we're going to look at um, the Mosaic Law. We're not going to look at all of it, but we're going to look at the Exodus. And then we'll finish briefly with, uh, with Hebrews 4. So let me read uh, from the creation account what's known usually as the Dominion Mandate, Genesis 1. Um, because uh, t the end of Genesis 1, 26 to 31, is going to give us a context for the first mention of rest, which of course is the seventh day. But we, to understand it, we've got to see this in context. So, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice that's repeated, that's emphasized. Uh, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. 
Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, I'm going to skip down uh, just to save time. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That, that's a refrain all the way through this creation story. Every part of it is good. Every part of it is good. So it reveals several keys that I think will help us understand Sabbath. Number one, humanity was made in the likeness of God. Imago Dei, it's called, if you want to use a nice Latin term. But it's the image of God. The implications of this is huge. I'm reading several books, and this keeps coming up in it. That the, the, the fact that, I think especially for the time we're in, by the way, because we are all made in the image of God, everyone is made in His image. Therefore, all people are to be viewed and treated with dignity. Amen. How countercultural is that? Um, for purposes of this study on Sabbath, we're going to focus on how Genesis 1 uh, presents God, okay? Because we could go down all kinds of very interesting roads on the Dominion Mandate. But tonight, we, to understand the Sabbath, we've got to understand the Creator. So, how does God demonstrate dominion over the creation? This is pretty interesting stuff. He does not lord over his creation ever. He enjoys, he cares for, and he secures the well-being of all of his creatures. And all are good. Note that Jesus, who of course is the second person, the triune God, notice his manner of dominion, a favorite passage of mine. It's in Mark 10, 42 to 45. This is when, remember, the two brothers said, hey, Jesus, we got a great idea. Um, how about one of us on the right, one on the left? Remember the other guys loved that? But Jesus was waiting for it. I know he was. I just have always known it. And he called them together and he said, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. In fact, grammatically, it shall not be so. It's even more emphatic. Whoever wishes to become great must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first must be your slave. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, uh, the second person, reflects, of course, the heart of the triune God. So that first point, I want you to, to make sure you get this, is the way he demonstrates dominion is not by control, not by manipulating it's, it's by enjoying and securing the well-being of the creation. Second thing I notice in this passage, what does he do to mankind, to the man and the woman? He immediately entrusts them with authority. Immediately. He entrusts his creature. He gives humanity power and authority. This, folks, is radical. This is the first thing I'm going to tell you tonight that we keep coming back to, how countercultural it is to be the people of God. Um, God governs through self-giving and by empowering others. Now, as a, as a leader, 
um, and I've found myself leading for many decades now. I have always had to come back to this point because there's a part of me as a leader wants to control things, wants to make sure everything's going well, wants to make sure everybody's doing things right, which can easily slip into doing things the way I would do them. But that's not the spirit of God that we see in this passage. It's about empowering others, releasing others. Say, you do it. So I think there's a very practical implication for us here. The third thing I want you to notice in this passage, God's likeness is both male and female. Anytime we have a one-gender view of God, it's incomplete and out of balance. You may be shocked to know that it was very common among the church fathers to use the feminine pronoun she when referring to the Holy Spirit. And some of you are going, oh, and I don't blame you. It's because it's been so ingrained in us. He made them male and female. And then I pointed out that was repeated just so we'd get it. To be complete, humanity needs others. It needs others. Humanity is a community. Some of you tonight said, oh man, I love these Tuesday nights when we all gather around the table tonight. It had to be a couple of tables and we had to get stools crammed in into the corners. But a couple of you tonight and, and many times in the past have said, I just love these. What is it? It's community. This is what we are made for. So it takes community to truly reflect the likeness of God. And in a few minutes, I'm going to show you how vital that is to the, uh, understanding why the Sabbath is so significant. Fourthly, Jesus is the full revelation of God. We would agree with that, right? Jesus never tried to control people, and he never grasped. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, what's called the kenosis, the self-emptying. He didn't ever make demands or say, well, this is my right, ever. Brueggemann said this, this direct quote, creation is God's decision not to look after himself, but to focus his energies and purposes on his creation. Isn't that something? God never grasps. And his people made in his image, when we follow the image of God in us, we do not grasp. Because grasping is about self-fulfillment. It's about self-security. Grasping rises up in every one of us when we feel insecure, when we're having trouble trusting, it is antithetical to who God is. Therefore, grasping can never ultimately bring life or true creativity. Ultimately, it just brings death. And there isn't any of us in this room who don't grasp. So it's th this whole thing of Sabbath is a decision and a movement that is not only corporately countercultural, 
but individually countercultural. Everybody tracking with me? Yeah. So that's the kind of the background, the context for Sabbath. So here we go. The first Sabbath. Um, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. On the seventh day, God had, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So what, what is the first purpose? What is the first raison d'etre of Sabbath? Rest. It's not worship. It's rest. It's rest. Perhaps this teaches us that faith-filled rest is itself an expression of worship. You know, I, uh, my first, I don't know, honey, what, 10, 12 years of walking with the Lord. We were with one church. I was on staff. I was kind of getting more and more responsibility and, you know, and I got busier and busier and busier and busier with religious activity. And it, it, uh, Truthfully, it absolutely obliterated true Sabbath for me in the early days. I'll never, ever forget. And it sounds funny, but it just, it just hurt my heart. When our eldest son, Tim, who once upon a time, he really was three or four years old. I was in the front room and I heard scrape bump, scrape bump, scrape bump. Thought, what the heck? And he came down the hall. And he had my big old briefcase. And he said, got to go to a meeting. Got to go to a meeting. Wow. So, Sabbath was originally connected to rest, not worship. Secondly, God was confident in his creation enough to rest. He let creation go. He rested on that day. Scripture doesn't say that he rested because he was tired. Rather, he was content. He was at peace. Content. God rests in his identity as the creator. He completely rests in who he is. And the vocation that he has. His vocation, of course, is to create and care for his creation. And he was completely at rest in both who he was and what he does. Again, his vocation. Sabbath is our demonstration. When we take Sabbath, it is our demonstration of trust in this God, the one who rests, the one who's confident, the one who gives away and doesn't grasp. It is a profound demonstration of trust in who God is and how he relates to his creation. Perhaps more than anything else, Sabbath is me declaring that I trust God and I trust the way that he has purposed for his creation to function. So I trust him 
but I also trust his movement, his activity in and around me. I find myself, maybe it's just a byproduct of getting older, but I find myself pastoring pastors and leaders in different countries in the world. And some of them God has entrusted with huge, huge responsibilities. Multiple, multiple churches and ministries. But when, however it works, but whenever they come to me and say, will you pastor me? Will you mentor me? Will you father me? Whatever the term is. Do you know this issue of Sabbath is the very first thing I go after? The very first thing. And I say, what's your Sabbath day? And 100% of the time, well, I don't have time for one. I mean, I've got all of this stuff to do. and da, 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 da. So the very first thing is you need to take a Sabbath because it's about trust. And I kind of think God's going to have it one way or another anyway. <laughs> and I make great points with their wives as we enter into this new relationship. Especially when I tell them this. After I get them through all the apoplexy of, ah, i got to take a day off. Say, so, yeah, the world will keep going, honest. <laughs> and there'll be a day you're not around anyway. And then when they get over that, I say, oh, and by the way, it's not a Sabbath unless you turn your phone off. And then I just watch them go every color of the rainbow. And their wives smile broadly. Sabbath is much more than just our rest. It is our announcement that the, the world, which includes my world, relies on God and his promises to me, not on my efforts. Can I say that again? Sabbath is my proclamation, my announcement to the world and to my world that my world relies on God and his promises, not on my efforts. Sabbath is my declaration that the world is safely in his hands. For me... I have pressed into this hard over the last maybe 10 years. It's related to my whole thing of pursuing the mystery of Christ and abiding and these things overlap. But I have pursued Sabbath as an interior way of relating to my world. It's changed my schedule. The guy who was always the first in at the office forever is now usually the last in. Um, I need Sabbath. It recalibrates me. It moves me away from concern and worry about all that's going on around me. Sabbath is vital for me to find balance and peace. I just need it internally. Sabbath confronts the pressure that goes on in me all the time to achieve, to make sure that everything's all right. Sometimes to make sure that my position is secure. All that fades as you get older. Sabbath points to the end of exploitation, which is grasping. Remember I told you a few minutes ago, God never grasps. Jesus never grasped. Sabbath and Sabbath keeping by us 
those who follow Jesus. The Sabbath is a day of revolutionary equality. We put a stake in the ground every Sabbath if we really understand what's going on. Do you know why it's revolutionary equality? Because it's Sabbath, everybody rests equally, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, strong or weak, everybody rests. One of my favorite sayings came on the trip that I was on in India. Bob was with me uh, and Tim, and we were with Randeep, who's, for those listening, he's a spiritual son in India. We were in the Golden Temple, which is the main center for the Sikh faith, and they feed 70 to 100,000 meals a day. And in the midst of this eating, and feeling very much the peace of God, Bob and I have talked about this, the presence of God in this wonderful place, the Sikh temple. I think it was Randeep who said, when we eat together, nobody is poor. Isn't that great? I think that goes all the way back to Acts 2, 42 to 47, eating together, this whole equality of life, of together corporately trusting in the goodness of God. Fourthly, Sabbath is a prophetic declaration. Sabbath people are prophetic people because Sabbath is a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. It is how creation will be when God's rule is fully established. We pray, and later on, I think we're probably going to pray again, thy, thy kingdom come. I know it's part of my daily prayer life, thy kingdom come. But when we pray that, it's lived out in Sabbath. Because Sabbath is the way the kingdom works. So really, whenever we step into Sabbath, it's an unspoken prayer. A favorite verse in the early days for me, a favorite cluster of verses, was... Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. You guys all know it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Sabbath, God gives rest as a gift, and Sabbath needs to be consistent. It needs to be built in part of the rhythm of our lives. It is a weekly reminder of how God made his creation to be. And you need to find that rhythm, folks. I encourage you to find that rhythm. Carve it out. If you don't control your calendar, other people or events will. So I encourage you with that. It is a weekly reminder of how God made his creation to be. This week's episode is brought to you by our skills and business programs. Just this morning, I received some great photos of the basic business training that's happening in northern India this week. If you followed my advice from last week, you may have seen some of those images on Facebook already. We currently have skills and business programs running in four different countries, and we aim to increase that to eight countries in the next three years. But we need your help to do that. Our programs include curriculum that was specifically designed for the developing world, teaching vulnerable people the basic principles of entrepreneurship. Once they graduate, many are encouraged to draft their own business plan. 
Our partners work with them to refine the plan and to help ensure their success in the field. Once they have a final business plan, they're able to apply for a small loan that will help them get their small business started. Some of the small businesses that are currently thriving include catering, hairdressing, a bakery, and soap manufacturing. One gentleman in Africa has started selling and installing doors on homes. As you can imagine, these opportunities lead to incredible transformation for entire families. If you'd like to get involved in this kind of sustainable, lasting fruit, visit impactnations.com business and make your contribution today. You could help kickstart a whole new future for a family who is struggling to find hope. And now, back to the podcast. Let's go to the next passage, which is the Exodus. And uh, Moses writes of Sabbath, I think it's 28 times, so it's pretty important. But I want to give you a context for it, how countercultural Sabbath is. It shouts no to the world system. It is built upon trust, contentment, and community. Let me say that again. Sabbath is built upon trust, contentment, and community. Don't forget, he's a communal God. We've talked lots in previous sessions about perichoresis, the movement of the triune movement of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice in this, in this account, the, 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 the Genesis account, let us make humankind in our own image. So, it's very communal. Now, here's what I really want to talk about for a few minutes, because this is where I hope, Lord, help us to expand our understanding about Sabbath from a lot more to whether you go to church or don't or what you do on Sunday. Although those can be part of it as an expression, but this is what it's really about. This is why Sabbath is so important. The whole Exodus story starts built around this system, the tyrannical system in Egypt. It was built upon exploitation. That the, the powerful people, Pharaoh and his, the pyramid beneath him, exploited beneath them and beneath them and beneath them. And the, they, the end of the day, it's the uh, Israelites, right? Who were exploited. And why were they exploded, exploited? Because of the underlying, right into the, the fabric of Egyptian culture, was grasping. And let me unwrap that a little bit. The entire culture was caught up, in fact, I would say trapped, by an endless cycle of production. They had to produce more and more. There's always new projects. There's a new monument to be built. There's a new city to be built. More and more and more. An endless cycle of production. So there's always the need for more. And when you have a production-based culture, the value of each cog in the machine, each person, is based entirely on their ability to produce. 
So when God brought his people out of Egypt, he was rescuing them from an all-encompassing oppressive system that trapped all of society in the need to produce. All the way up to Pharaoh, because when things weren't happening, he's saying, what's going on? You make them work harder. Let them get their own straw. Do you understand? It doesn't matter where you are in the, in the Egyptian system, and I use that universally. It doesn't matter where you are, you're trapped by that system. You're trapped by it. If you're working for minimum wage on an assembly line, you're trapped by it. If you're a mid-level manager, you're trapped by it. If you're the CEO and you've got to answer to the board, you're trapped by it. If you're a board member because you've got to answer to shareholders. It's this system. And God rescued them from it. It exploited the poorest and the most vulnerable. And this is really important. Egypt, the system turns people into commodities. If you think about it, it's very clear in our day and age, but it's always been there. It turns people into commodity. Now, what did Jesus call this? He gave it a name, mammon. And we reduce mammon to, oh, money. Don't love money. Mammon is a spirit, this spirit of, that exploits because it's based on grasping. And it's based on a, uh, a relentless striving to produce that inevitably turns people into commodities. Christ warned about this. So you see, it's so much bigger than loving money or trying to get more money. He's talking about a spirit. Mammon sees everything and everyone as a commodity. I promise you that. Any of you folks who have had opportunity in different strata of society, I watch, I travel, I go to places and people with influence want to hang around other people with influence, etc., etc. You can take it anywhere in the strata of society. It's because it turns people into a commodity. I can use people, whatever my need is, to be helping me produce what I want. This spirit fuels an endless desire for more and better and newer. Full disclosure, I was uh, at Best Buy and I love music. Those who know me well know that I, I love good music, classical, jazz, especially. And I listened to this speaker that was fantastic. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that speaker, except it doesn't fit with right now other obligations we've got. But that thing grabbed me 
And for a couple of days, I'm trying to justify, well, you know, it's only X dollars and I've just move this and move that. It's not about whether I could move stuff around or not. It's about the spirit of mammon. It was like, I want it because it's better than what I got now. I'm just telling you, this isn't theory for me right now. And by the way, after a couple of days, it just let go. It just let go. If we didn't have this spirit of mammon, which is constantly fueling more, newer, better, um, our entire present economic structure would collapse. I think we frankly would end up with something that looked very different and in some cases might look more biblical. And I'm not, I'm not preaching. We need economic collapse. We don't. But I am saying it is a reality. Mammon in the way I've described it, ceaseless production is at the absolute core of our economic system. Therefore, mammon leads to endlessly increasing ceaseless drive to produce more and more. And without Sabbath, I promise you, we, our lives are absorbed and overtaken by this restlessness because it's all around us. Sabbath rest is a declaration that people are not commodities to be sacrificed for endless production. Let's talk a little bit about, still within the umbrella of the Exodus, and uh, the Mosaic Law. Let's talk about Sabbath and community for a minute. That, that verse we started with, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, is the fourth of the uh, Ten Commandments. And the first three commandments are about our direct relationship with God. But this fourth is like the pivot point of the Ten Commandments. Because all the rest are about our relationship with our neighbor. Don't know if you ever noticed that. <coughs> and they're about how to be a good neighbor. Egypt is anti-neighbor. Because it says you're a commodity. Your value is based upon your ability to produce. Therefore, it is up to you to keep up if you're going to survive. Egypt is built upon the premise of, of laissez-faire, every man for himself. Um, it, it's an economic system, but mainly it's a worldview system. Let me give you another Brueggemann quote. Sabbath is a practical divestment so that neighborly engagement rather than production defines our lives. Egypt offers anxious productivity, it rewards the strong because they're productive, and it bypasses or even punishes the weak because they're not productive. But God's way of life is Sabbath. It offers an antidote to this, which is community. The Old Testament talks a lot about neighborliness. It's community. That's the antidote 
That's why we need each other. Sabbath sacrifices productivity. Sabbath people are, are, are finding ways to get off the treadmill. And so, of course, it sacrifices productivity. And therefore, the spirit of mammon does everything it can to stand against this. Because when I leave a life based on productivity with people as commodity, I leave the power that mammon has over me. That's why, if any of you, like me, if you've ever left uh, a, quote, successful business career and, and gone into something very different, you are surrounded. The people that don't know the Lord make fun of you, sometimes even your family. And the ones who do know the Lord but don't understand Sabbath, they instill fear. You can't do that. What are you going to do? How can you just step out and start a ministry? What are you doing? There's no pension plan. There's no guarantee. It's not bad people. It's the spirit of mammon that is incredibly threatened by everything you and I do to become a Sabbath people, which is a community people. Sabbath offers the mutual security and dignity that God created us for. It is, uh, I go back to that word perichoresis, the interrelatedness of the Trinity. That is what is reflected in true community. That's where the life is. That's where there is no grasping, but there's self-emptying. We've talked about that in previous sessions. Sabbath is our communal declaration, our corporate declaration. We will not be defined by busyness or by the pursuit of more. Not being defined by busyness was another great challenge for me. Because I was sort of high energy, but that wasn't the real reason. It's because there's a little voice saying, keep going, you've got to do more. You haven't worked hard enough. You haven't got enough done. Probably none of you don't even know that voice, right? But it's our communal declaration. We will not be defined by busyness and we will not be defined by pursuit of more, newer, better, faster, whatever. Our lives do not consist in, nor are they measured by commodity. We will live free from mammon, from Egypt. Therefore, we do not have to do more. We don't have to sell more. We don't have to buy more. We don't even have to, to know more. Which for me is a great challenge. I can slip into that. Knowledge for its own sake. Because I just love to read. And, but, but I can slip into being productive. Justifying my existence. So, is this giving you things to think about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
So let's. Yes, we can do some interaction at the end. If anybody has questions who's listening from other places, you can uh, type them in. I'm going to finish, kind of bring it down a little bit. And uh, I'm going to read from the, the Passion. I hardly even know why. Just when I was looking at all the various translations, I thought, oh, I like that. Uh, of, of Hebrews 4. Um, Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. And now when I want you to hear about Sabbath rest, I hope you're thinking of it a little differently than, oh yeah, I need to make sure I don't work on Sunday. Do you understand? It's, uh, that's an outworking, but I'm trying to get to the reason behind it. So, Hebrews 4. Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of rest in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail um, to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, Israel. Yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. For he has said, I was grieved with them and made a solemn oath. They will never enter into the calming rest of my spirit. God's works have all been completed from the foundation of the world. For it says in scripture on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, as stated before, they will never enter into my calming place of rest. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter into that realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. For God still has ordained a day for us to enter into what he calls today. For it was long afterwards that God repeated it to David in David's words, if only today you would listen to his voice and not harden your hearts. Now, if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished work and rests in them. So then we must give all uh, our all, sorry, we must give our all and be eager to uh, experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. Give our all is strive to enter his rest which is, it sounds like an oxymoron. But what it is, it's, it is a strive because are you beginning to see that there's this massive cosmic pull from the powers that be? This is why we need each other so much, by the way. We need to strengthen and encourage and remind one another. God's rest, I'm going to finish with this. The rest that God promises 
is just to share in the rest that he enjoys in himself. That's why I keep going back to you on the, on the incarnational aspect. I'm in the Father, you're in me, I'm in you. We're in Christ 164 times. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This whole incarnational thing that we've talked so much about. That's about entering into and appropriating just that rest that God has in himself. Completely content in himself. God's rest is more than rejuvenation of energy. It is an exchange of our life for God's. That's why I need more and more time. I'm, I'm up in that office of mine, and when the weather gets good, I'm out there. I need time in this exchange. I need to actively, volitionally, tangibly enter into Sabbath rest day by day by day. And the older I get, the more I need. But it's this exchange of life. I'm in him, he's in me. I've shared with you before that that's very much a a beginning of my prayer time in the mornings. Almost always begins with with either the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or it begins with, oh, you're in me and I'm in you. And you're in me and I'm in you. I've talked to you about that. This is not just a little semantic game. This is me volitionally deciding and stepping into Sabbath rest day by day by day. Isn't it interesting? Uh, our life for God's what did, how did How did John perceive it in Revelation? He said he saw it as a sea of glass like crystal around the throne. If that's not a symbol of the rest and calm of God, I don't know what is. So he is the source of rest for Sabbath. God's rest is the place of his perfect plan and design. It is his fulfillment of his highest purpose and calling for me to be in him. And he in me and I in him. To rest is to abide in God's design for my life. The place of God's rest is about abiding. The word is meno, M-E-N-O. Remember 63 times in John's Gospel. Some of you will remember I've taught you that. It's the theme. It's what holds John's Gospel together. One of the things that holds it together is this abiding, resting in Him. Sabbath rest is a place of trust. It's where we learn to rest from our works. And I, for one, have to learn it again and again and again. But He's taking me deeper. I'm not just going round and round the mountain. I'm going gradually deeper and deeper. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest or strive to enter that rest. It requires persistence and a deliberate choice. I was thinking about Paul and the Galatians. I think it's Galatians 3. He says, oh, you guys, you started in the spirit. How'd you get into the flesh? I was thinking of that in terms of Sabbath rest. You began to enter into the the freedom. I mean, if he got Israel free from Egypt, how much more is he getting his people free from mammon, the spirit of Egypt? And he says, don't slip back in. Again, that's why we need each other. Because there's lots of slippage in our lives. 
As we learn to live from the image of day, the image of God, as we learn to live from that, we find ourselves becoming salt and light and leaven that is not only countercultural but revolutionary. Because it is revolutionary. Going to church isn't revolutionary. It's good. Reading your Bible isn't revolutionary. It's good. I do both. But he's called us into an entirely different kind of existence. And I believe with all my heart there's this great stirring all over the world right now. There's a great stirring for something deeper. Something that it, it is so revolutionary. <laughs> There's a, the Greek word for rest in your Bible is kataposis. And you know what it literally means? To colonize. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Sabbath people will colonize, will change their environment. So we'll wrap it up. Sabbath is expressed in pulling aside and entering into the rest of God but it is a powerful force that stands against the spirit of the age. It is something that we must strive for, which means we must prioritize, we must resist discouragement, we must pull against Egypt, against mammon. Sabbath is about living in community reflecting the cosmic and eternal truth of the triune God that lives in perfect interrelatedness. To embrace Sabbath with all of its prophetic, countercultural, paradigm-challenging implications, if we're going to do this, we're going to need each other. Remember, Sabbath is much more than our rest. It is our announcement that the world, including my world and yours, relies on God and his promises to us, not on our efforts. Sabbath ultimately is my declaration that the world is safely in his hands. Well, I suspect this has broadened our understanding of what the Sabbath is all about and perhaps challenged our worldview a little bit. If you'd like to help the poor find a place in the economy of the kingdom of God, visit impactnations.com slash business. Thanks and have a great week.